0: You're joining us for the first time. We're three weeks into our new sermon series, which actually goes for 31 weeks. Nice long sermon series this year. And we're following a book called The Story. It's this book here, and I know most of you here probably have one of these now. And it's basically a compilation of uh, a lot of the actual passages or or the the big the big stories out of our Bibles and then they've put them together in chronological order from Genesis to Revelation to help us kind of focus on that overarching big picture of God and and us and humanity and there's still some by the way available if you'd like to join in at the information desk you can grab one on the way out today as I said we're up to week three so you won't have much to catch up on it's just one chapter a week which is really achievable by the way is everyone finding it really really achievable yeah that's good I've found that anyway. Last week, Mark helpfully dug into some of the lessons from Genesis, you know, around uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so while we want to learn lessons of the individual stories along the way, and that's what we're going to do, we're going to do it today as well, we just want to make sure we continue to see this story arc that, that makes its way through. So let me update you in, like, say, 20 seconds, right? Number one, we were created in the image of God. The whole earth was created, and we were created in his image, perfect and without sin, and we were connected to God perfectly as well. Number two, we damage that perfection and connection when we sin, right back at the beginning with Adam and Eve, and we do that too today. Number three, God's story of redemption for humanity. It begins with Abraham and Sarah. And number four, God makes a covenant with them to begin a new nation that will bless the world. So that's kind of where we're up to if you want to look at the high level of things. And now we read about Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and his 12 sons, who go on to be the patriarchs of Israel, you know, the 12 tribes. So the covenant story remains in play and takes a big step here in chapter 3 of the story. It's mostly Genesis 37 through to the end of Genesis, by the way. When God says Israel will bless all nations, we know this redemption plan will be Jesus. We, we already know that because we get, we've seen it and we have the, the record of it as well. This redemption plan is the big story arc that carries through the Bible. I'm not sure I've ever preached on Joseph before, by the way. I was trying to remember. Have I ever done that? I don't think I, can, I have, but it's safe to say that most of you here today would know the story at the very least you've seen the musical. Yeah? It's interesting as I read through the pages of Joseph's story again, and I, it kind of jumped out to me a little bit, his family is kind of dysfunctional. <laughs> it, it, yeah, right? And it kind of makes you feel good about your own family in, in some ways. You've got to remember Joseph's father, Jacob, remember he was kind of sneaky when it came to the moment where his father, Isaac, was ready to bless his firstborn son, Esau and Jacob deceived his dad and took the blessing for himself. Jacob then has to flee because his, his brother hates him and, and wants to kill him. You know, this, that's not a healthy family, is it? Think about that for a second. Fast forward and Jacob, he's now known as Israel. He has these 12 sons. He has at least one daughter. And, and, and Jacob plays favorites. You know, he loves Joseph more than the others. And they all know it. I'm sure that doesn't happen in any families here. There's bitterness, there's jealousy, infighting. And if you read the chapter this week, or you read the chapter, you'll see that uh, Jacob showered favoritism on Joseph. And to make matters worse, it was on display because he gave him something special that he would wear. You know, this coat that's so famous in in the musical that we have. And it just reminded his brothers all the time, he's the favorite one. Genesis 37, 4 says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word of him. Then to make matters worse, Joseph decides to share a dream, and in this dream, all of his brothers are bowing down to him. So in verse 8 it says, His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. You've got to kind of imagine the family dinners aren't that they? great. You know, this is a pretty strong language, isn't it? One would think that one would be careful with sharing such a dream with brothers that have something against you, but then he does it again. Dream number two decides to share it with them. And the story moves on and Jacob asks Joseph to go and check on his brothers one day because they'd been away grazing sheep. So these these guys were farmers, you know, they raised sheep. And they are away in another location. And so Jacob sends Joseph. And here's what happens in uh, chapter 37 from verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. He comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Just a little bit of bitterness (laughs) in there. Well, thankfully, because uh, I think it was Reuben intervened, the brothers don't kill Joseph, but sadly they do sell him off as a slave to some merchants that happened to be travelling through the area at the time, and they go home and tell Jacob that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. Now these merchants take Joseph to Egypt and then they on him to Potiphar who was the captain of Pharaoh's guards. So he's become a slave. And I'm sure you know the story. Joseph, he's a man of integrity and he does really well even in that position. And he actually has success in that position and eventually Potiphar puts him in charge of his entire household. So here's what it looks like in chapter 39. So Potiphar le- left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. He must be very good <laughs> if that's the case. You know, if I was to, in Joseph's shoes, and we've got to do this, you know, we've got to put ourselves in the shoes and try to think of all the detail that doesn't always get put into the Bible to, so that we can understand. I think at this point, you'd kind of start to feel maybe things are going to be okay. You've gone from being almost killed by your own brothers. To being sold as a slave, that's not a good thing. Against your will, then again, to being trusted with one of the most important officials in Egypt. You'd have to be thinking, well, maybe this is it. God has me on track. He gave me the plan in a dream. I've been holding on to that dream through all these dark days because this is, I've only told you the story in two minutes. This has obviously gone out over a long period of time. And you'd be thinking, well, things are starting to look up. And then verse 6 ends with this. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Uh, it was nice of Moses to put that in there, wasn't it, for, for Joseph? And, but there's no easy way to say this. But what happens next is that he was propositioned by his boss's wife. We keep reading. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And, and again, you'll know the story. He resisted temptation and she persisted again and again until one day, when she grabbed him, he escaped by kind of getting out of his cloak and leaving that behind. And he took off and fled the scene. And Potiphar's wife decides, I'm going to punish him for this. And so, with his cloak in hand, she says to her husband, You know, what actually happened? Or he, he, she tells him the reverse of what was true, you know, that Joseph propositioned her. Potiphar, of course, is furious. He dismisses Joseph from his job and he imprisons him. Now, like a, it's just his roller coaster for this poor guy. This is not a small setback to the dream. He's in prison. As far as we know, there was no trial, no justice. You're in prison in Egypt, a foreign country. Imagine a prison in a foreign country. It can't be good. The dream seems hopeless now, and yet somehow somehow Joseph doesn't give up. This is why we look to him, right? So we're in chapter 39, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Kind of sounds familiar to what had happened previously. Even in the lowest of situations... The quality of Joseph's character and, and, and I just have to say a relentless faith in God actually sees him rise above these circumstances. It would be easy, easy to give up at this point. And like I said, if you put yourself in his shoes, I know we have this really fun musical and it kind of seems fun but actually is deadly serious and really tragic what had happened to him. If you put him in his shoes, imagine how difficult that situation would be, how you would feel. You'd give up, you'd lose hope perhaps. Somehow Joseph finds the strength and the faith to stick with God and here's the important thing, God sticks with Joseph. Back to that first verse there in, that I just read in that passage, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. This is an important thing, this is a part we can't remember or that we, we sh- sorry, that we shouldn't forget. That's what I meant to say. It may not have seemed like God was with him at times. You think about that when you're heading off to jail in a foreign country for something you didn't do. It wouldn't seem like God is with you in that time. But God faithfully stays with him and honors his faith once again by giving him favor. And the prison warden actually gives him a role. The story moves on. While in jail... Joseph is able to help two other prisoners understand their dreams. You know, Joseph, it just seems like he was a dreamer, but he has this gift of interpreting dreams. And one of those two people was a cupbearer for the king. I've always thought what that job would be like, being a cupbearer. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of job satisfaction, in my opinion, (laughs) because really, what do you do? They just taste it a little bit and then hold the cup, and they bring it to the king. Anyway. I digress later this cupbearer returns to his position with the king and he remembered that Joseph had helped him when Pharaoh then has a dream that no one can help him with so he says to Pharaoh well this guy in prison helped me with my dreams so Pharaoh calls for Joseph and he's able to warn Pharaoh that his dream was a warning from God about seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine, famine and that Egypt must prepare Pharaoh is so pleased with Joseph for the help that he gave him that he not only frees him from prison, he puts him in charge to oversee exactly what he had told him about. The preparations for the famine, just as God had warned. And then the next few chapters pick up the story of his brothers arriving in Egypt to find food because of the famine and after some back and forth, and it's kind of, kind of drawn out a little bit, but I, I think it was probably a time of Joseph dealing with the emotions of, of his betrayed brothers, amongst other things. Finally, Joseph forgives them, and there's a great reunion, and eventually he invites the whole family of Israel to move to Egypt to survive the famine, and they do. That was my short version of a very long story. Uh, but I guess the thing that stood out to me was Joseph's life had it just the extreme highs and lows in that and it was for a period of about 13 years if you read the story this week you'll see it was from about the age of 17 when his brothers took him and then uh, about the age of 30 when he's out of prison some of those lows though must have been unbearable surely there must have been fear and anxiety you know times of depression I think we can just give Joseph the permission in this story to say he would have had these things surely you know, I'm sure he didn't waltz into prison smiling and beaming all day. There must have been some really difficult times. There must have been anger, grief, suffering. And yet when you step back and look at the big picture, when we get to step back and look at the big picture, we see that God was at work in those times. There was actually a, a long lesson, in my opinion, of discipleship for Joseph. It's not the way you want to be discipled. And yet it was. God had taken this young man, I would say, reading through the text, I would say somewhat arrogant young man with a traumatic family background through the most difficult of circumstances and taught him and refined him and he's this now great leader, furthering God's plan. And you can't help but see that Joseph found a way to work through his trials. They didn't defeat him. And somehow, I think they would have changed him. And he would have grown through those times. So I'm looking for lessons that, that can apply to us today. So here's, here's the first one. Your difficult circumstances, they can be opportunities to grow. I'm not saying they're not difficult, okay? I put the word difficult in there for a reason. So I'm not, point number one is not your difficult circumstances aren't difficult. They are difficult. We've got to acknowledge this. Of course they are. And I'll also add, difficult circumstances don't mean that you're out of favor with God. It can feel like it, but it doesn't mean it. It doesn't also mean that you're outside of his plan for you. And it doesn't mean your difficult circumstances are necessarily God's idea either. Okay, But what I've learned in life is that my first reaction to hard circumstances, which is you know, often to flee because we want to stop the pain, that response is not always a good one. It's not always the right one for me. In my experience, when I face that wall that we inevitably come up against in life, you know, the real growth, the real discipleship happens when I actually can move forward in faith in a healthy way and move through that wall You know, keep in mind, I'm not talking about living. You know, I've always just got to put this little caveat around these kinds of discussions. I'm not talking about living with abuse or putting up, um, putting ourselves through needless suffering or making unwise decisions. You know, not. I'm I'm not talking about ignoring healthy boundaries. That's never part of the lessons, okay? I am talking about the fact that we all have weaknesses, and we all come up against difficult situations that seem to stop us. They become a barrier in our growth. And we often tend to just bounce off that wall because it's too hard or painful to work our way through it or over it. Hopefully, you're following what I'm saying. I've got a little diagram on the screen I want to show you. It's slightly not clear. But often, this is the pattern that happens for us. You know, we have a life changing awareness of God. We start learning and go into discipleship, and we have an active life in the church, and we're serving, and we hit that wall. And often it's as far as we get. We bounce off it because it's painful and it's really hard. And we don't know how to process it properly. And we go back to those stage two and three, and that's as far as we get. We forget the journey inward. It's stage four. We miss it, sorry. We miss stage five. You know, from the inner life, we have the outward journey and this trans- life of transformation, this transformed into perfect love, to be like Jesus. It can be helpful when we see that diagram to visualise what, what is common in, in our lives. Deep growth and discipleship is often missed by too, too many of us because we, we take on the world's approach of doing all we can to avoid the hard work of growing through what can be difficult and what can be painful. And we do live in a society you know, that gives us everything we can to make life easier, don't we? And that's okay. You know, I love the gadgets and the appliances in my home too. But it can train our mind to go to... To always look for something that's easier. Because sometimes harder is beneficial. We hit a wall in life, we pull back, and later to hit the wall again, we pull back again. You know, they, these can be walls of our own doing or they can be unfortunate circumstances. Talking about ones that can be of our own doing. Perhaps we keep running into relationship issues over and over again. You know, we constantly seem to have conflict with others. Again. And again, you know, there's, there could be an underlying reason why that keeps happening, but it's easier to run away or blow up that relationship than to go through and look inside of ourselves, which is the hard work. That's the hard part. Perhaps we keep coming back to the same addictions again and again. The way through is really hard. Maybe we constantly have the same issues at work that we had in previous jobs and we run f- from them. We fail to think about why. Why? Maybe we're a manager or a leader or a business owner. Do we have a tendency to go through a lot of staff in our, in our business or in our department or volunteers in our church even? Because we fail to look internally and say, why is it that that happens? We keep hitting that wall. And there's dozens of examples. We keep hitting up against the same wall because we resist the hard internal work of transformation. You know, We often look at everybody else's need and not here. This is discipleship. This is where real change happens. And of course, there's those walls that we run into that are outside of our control. I would say that was what Joseph was experiencing a lot of his time as well. But it can include things like you know, health issues. Maybe we have kids who are making choices that, are, uh, you know, that aren't great. Maybe there's a difficulty in our, in our marriage or spouses let us down. There's, there could be the loss of a loved one even. There could be an accident we've been involved in, the loss of a job. But dare I say it, with understanding and compassion. Even these kinds of difficult times, we can bounce off that wall and give up and lose faith, or we, can, or we can see God's loving hand at work in our life in these moments as he carefully and tenderly holds us as we move through it and grow. Not, pretend, not to pretend that pain isn't real, not to ignore grief that we're feeling, and i repeat, I'm not saying these tragedies or trials are necessarily God's plan, but the lesson from Joseph is that God can and does take bad, even evil, and turn it into good according to his purposes. And if you're taking notes this morning, write down, write down Romans 8.28 and read it at home. Now, of course, we don't like pain. Who does? I haven't met too many people. I know some of you do triathlons and things like that, but (laughs) different kind of pain. The tendencies to flee from anything that causes pain or to bounce off that wall can leave us stuck in so many areas of our life. We repeat unhealthy cycles. This is the reason why the Bible talks to us about how there can be joy found in difficult circumstances because it's often out of that pain that something beautiful can come. Again, if you're taking notes, please read James chapter 1. I was listening to a podcast the other day from a a, a professor at Fuller Seminary, and he's been studying Christian leadership for 30 years. And he said sometimes he's helping uh, churches find a pastor, and they're interviewing him. And he said one of the first things that he says to these potential pastors is, tell me about your times of grief and loss. You know, usually we ask the pastor, well, How are you going to grow things and build things and what's going to be awesome about you? He says, I want to hear about the hard times in your life and how you processed that and what came out of it. It's at the wall that God is seeking to do a transforming work in us. Please hear me. If you're in a time of grief and loss, I'm not chastising you. I'm saying God is with you like he was with Joseph. And he is grieving with you, but as you sit with him in that grief, he's doing something beautiful in you that will benefit you and others if we let him. This was I, I think this was a lesson for Joseph. This was his transformation, his discipleship moments. God had taken this young man, a young man with a lot of pain and suffering, with lots of family issues, and through those most difficult of circumstances God taught him and refined him to be a great leader and indeed aligned those circumstances around the plan that God had that he'd given to Abraham many many years earlier to begin this new nation that would bless nations that's my main point for today could almost stop there but I've got two more and they're shorter but I don't want you to forget that one number two the quality of your character pays off. Joseph could have responded in a different way, but even though what happened to him was a massive injustice, he always maintained integrity and character as far as I can tell. He found favor with God, and he found favor with his master, You know, with Potiphar at first, and the prison warden, and with Pharaoh. There was something about him. Helped him rise above these circumstances to bring favor his way. Each time Joseph found himself in a difficult situation, the quality of his character shone through. He gained trust and respect and favor. And you could almost say he gained that favor with his enemies in a way. A poor character sabotages so much of our life. You know, relationships, employment, and family. A good character is noticed by God and it's and eventually it's noticed by those around us. A person of good character re- resembles Jesus. In, a, in a, the end, I think this is the outcome of discipleship. is God's refining us into this quality per- person of quality character that looks like Jesus. I would say at first, character is probably seen below the surface mostly because above the surface is what we show people and we can fake it, can't we? We can pretend it's something that it's not. But what's below usually, eventually, rises to the top. For me, this is one of the messages of Joseph. I think about when we feel like something in life is unfair. We we know sometimes the government, they're going to make decisions that are going to affect us, and we don't like it. It's going to happen. Some circumstances around us are going to be hard in our jobs, in school, in uni, and they're just not going to be fair sometimes. Even though those things may be true, and even though those things may require us to respond, we always maintain integrity and character that aligns with Jesus in the way we respond. We may lose out in the short term, but in the long term, integrity and quality character will gain us more. That was the second lesson I got from Joseph this week. The third lesson is this. God is in control. So be at peace. I was going to say God is in control so relax I think either way works to be honest the second one sounded a bit more biblical so I went with that <laughs> there's a moment later on after you know, Joseph's dad Jacob dies, all the brothers they're worried, uh oh dad's dead, Joseph's still number two in Egypt where we live, he's going to get his revenge now they're worried, they come to him and they offer themselves as slaves. They think this is the answer. And here's how Joseph replies in chapter 50. He says, don't be afraid. And I, in the place of God, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. All these things that came against Joseph didn't stop God's plan of redemption through Israel being Stopped. You can't stop God's sovereign will. Church, you can't stop God's sovereign will for this world. So church, be at peace. Dial down the worry. It's crazy out there, but the world will not stop God. They may think they can It may even look like they are at times. He will overcome. It may not be obvious. His ways are not our ways. (laughs) But the story shows us this truth over and over again. His plan for the world will happen. We know it. Because we've seen the evidence of it. What was said would happen has happened. So therefore we know what Jesus says is still to come will happen. Jesus says, therefore, stop worrying so much about tomorrow. And this is why. We may not know or understand the journey, but we know the destination. That's what you can hold on to. The question is, will you trust God through the good and the bad like Joseph did? Will you allow him to work in you through all things? Of course we should show concern and we should advocate for the things that Jesus advocated for. Mm, Absolutely, we should do that. Please don't stop. But remember this always, Jesus is with you. So relax. (laughs) The team are going to come. And you can move now, you guys. But we're going to do it differently today. Don't panic. (laughs) I'm just going to invite you. You can stay seated during this last song. I just want you to spend some time with God for a moment. I just feel like that's where God put me at the end of this message. No doubt you're familiar with um, Paul's words in Philippians where he's encouraging us not to worry and he says that there's a A peace that surpasses understanding. Everybody knows that scripture, right? Eugene Peterson, he he paraphrases this. I, I just love the way he did it. I want to share it with you today. He says, Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Isn't that great? Letting God know your concerns before you know it a sense of God's wholeness everything coming together for good will come and settle you down it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life and I think God wants to do that for some of us here today all of us here so I just want you to open yourself up to Christ doing that work in you and as the team sings this song you know if you know it you're welcome to sing if you want but I also invite you you can just listen to the words perhaps if you want you can close your eyes I just want you to pray but I do want you to listen to God or both I just invite you in these next few minutes to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you If you feel troubled or anxious or something in your life is causing you to despair, I repeat Genesis 39. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. It's for all of you here today. So Holy Spirit, come.